With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. You are once again tuned into the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Uh, today, I've got a genuine Chicago blues man on the line with me today. Uh, Mr. Dave Weld, he's been a blues guitarist for many, many years uh, in the Chicago area, he slowed running, done a lot of different things, had uh, <clears throat> worked with Little Ed in the uh, Blues Imperials. He's done a lot of different stuff. I can't wait to, to get started with him. So welcome, Dave Weld. How hey. are you today? <laughs> How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on the show, man. No problem. Um, and by the way, the, 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 your, uh, your line is crystal clear. I can hear you just, just perfectly. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> so, so. Dave, what, what, what is Chicago blues? Because that's your, within the blues genre, you know, there's different, you know, breakdowns of it. And you're well, a Chicago guy. So what's, the, what's Chicago blues? I mean, there's the history of it, and there's what it is now. I don't know what you want to go, uh, you know, of course it came up from Mississippi, right? Right. And, and well, and Point South, actually. And, uh, you know, in the 20s and the 30s were wonderful for Chicago blues, you know, and then the forties and fifties, you know, Tampa red and big Maceo and uh, guys like that. And, uh, they were uh, wonderful. And then of course, muddy came and changed it all, you know, muddy water. How did muddy waters change it all? I've, I've, I've heard blues, uh, musician after blues musician say that. Why can you kind of enlighten us on, on how, what, what that means? He formalized it into, and, and it, you know, it didn't sound so formal when you hear it. It still sounds loose, but it's really, at that point, it's really ensemble playing. It's not just a drummer and a harp player and a, and a stand-up bass guy and, and somebody jamming. You know, although that's, that's all cool, but Muddy, you know, his band, and, of course, it's electrified, you know, as well, so... At that point, it was all electric guitars, and uh, well, at first it was a stand-up bass, but uh, he uh, made ensemble playing where everybody was playing a different part, and so you you know uh, you'd have the, uh, the the singer and uh, little Walter and uh, uh, Otis Spann, and uh, uh, and so you know uh, you you'd have those people doing each separate part around Marty in an ensemble. And each person had to keep track of his own part, you know, and uh, and it fit like a glove, you know. They were masters at it, and so this really presented it as a formal act, you know, like uh, like Count Basie, but in Chicago blues style, you know, something that was formal and really, you know, really well well thought out, and uh, and it had it had heavy impact. Because the uh, Chicago bands are known for for their punch, and uh, you know Muddy had it, and then the Wolves too. You know those two guys, and then of course Elmore was 
wonderful. And uh, what Jimmy is Reed the, uh, came after that. It, what is now? What is the attraction to this particular uh, style of blues for you? Is it the fact that the way the sort of the ensemble all works together, as opposed to sort of looser? Um, we just for lack of a better word, looser uh, Mississippi blues. Is, is is that what it is, or what what is it for you that, that draws you to the uh, Chicago blues? Let's see. Uh, it's the impact and the inventiveness, okay. and, and as well as the cohesive unity of the group. Uh, I love to hear. Yeah, I love to hear the ensemble. Fred Beal was the drummer behind Muddy, and, and his parts are. Are wonderful. I mean, he's really the beginning of Chicago. And there was other guys before him, but he really was the main Chicago blues drummer to come along. After that, and he uh, he just made it. And, and so, okay, you have the leader, and and with with this ensemble setting, you had this creativity you could do. You know, you could you could you could tell the piano player, hey, why don't you do this? Well, I'm doing this. And then the drummer would be, oh, okay, and I'll do this. And then the bass player, you know, and the harp guy would say, oh, and so here's where I fit in. And uh, within that, you could come up with all kinds of variety. Like uh, within the shuffle, you know, which is the standard blues shuffle beat, you know, you could, or or you could do other, you know, other type of beats. And, and so they came up with, Songs that, to me, I came up in the 50s uh, listening to the radio in the 50s and 60s, actually the mostly the 60s. And and the songs at that point, they seemed to have so much variety. You know, if you listen to the Supremes, it would be way different than listening to James Brown or Sam and Dave. Gotcha. Yeah, and each one of their songs was a, a gem, a little like a an inspiration and totally different than another song. And that's what I liked about the Chicago blues, you know, like especially from these guys, the Wolf and Muddy and Elmore, it would be each song would be like a total gem and could be, you know, totally different than, you know, just like Muddy's can't be satisfied, you know, is, is, is way different than, you know, some other song or, different than the Wolf's Backdoor Man, you know. Or, you know, talk about a different song, 44 Blues by the Wolf, you know. Uh, So, you know, what I'm getting then is that, did you now, because a lot of people come to blues through something else. You know, um, a lot, you know, a lot, you know, you you hear the story. You know, well, I, you know, I listened to Chuck Berry and the Rolling Stones, et cetera, and then I went back. It sounds to me what you're saying is you were aware, at least aware of this music. It was in your consciousness from the beginning. Is that true? Um, I also came to it through the Stones and Chuck Berry. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, although I I had listened to some little '78 beforehand. The Stones' first album, I was going to say CD, what a mistake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when the Stones' first uh, album came out, you know, I said, who, who is McKinley Morganfield? You know, and I yeah. found out, you know, that's Muddy Waters. And I looked, and I went and got his records. You know, and then, you know, the same thing happened for The Wolf, for, you know, B.B. King, and... uh 
So were you about like high school age when you started doing this? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like uh, my first year in high school, freshman high school, and I was al- already separating myself from the pack, you know. <laughs> you had to be different, didn't you, Dave? Something, something <laughs> happened. Troublemaker. You know? <laughs> so, I just. Uh, when did the guitar come in? When did you start? When did the guitar come into this whole thing? Uh, I started. I got out of school and uh, I went down to New Mexico to go to college. Actually, now they're one of the only ones that would uh, accept me because my high school grades were so bad. <laughs> And I was kind of a troublemaker, <laughs> but and so I, but I, you know, I said, well, you know, this this is the path to uh, a lousy life, and I said, well, I'm going to try to improve myself, go to college, and I went down to New Mexico State, and uh, I ended up off campus within thirty, with I mean, within a few months, I, I found a place off campus, and. Okay. Uh, I got a guitar, and and that, I didn't have any money. <laughs> so, what, what was your first guitar? Uh, just acoustic, some sort of acoustic. Okay, just curious. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time by this old onion field uh, playing guitar. I wasn't very good, that's for sure. You know, because I I started <laughs> at uh, age seventeen. You know, so. That's a little later than a lot of guys start. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, like today, I mean, between, uh, you know, Kenny Wayne Shepard and Joe Bonamassa and um, Johnny Lang, those guys, you know, were, were, you know, I think Joe Bonamassa was playing when he was like five. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you start when you're 16, you're like a has-been now, but, um, <laughs> which is not true. We're making a joke. Um, so no, but it's, you, it's true, you know. Yeah. So I'm a, you know, so I'm a late bloomer, I think. Um, so, so did you now, now you, but you ended up, you took it to another level because you did start taking uh, guitar lessons, correct? I, I ran in, I, I saw an ad in the paper and it said jazz and blues. Okay. And I went over to the guy's house and his name was Kurt Black. And, uh, I started doing, uh, harmony with him and theory of jazz. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just learning chords because I, I really, you know, I didn't have the ability. And uh, he was a pretty cool guy, but uh, he had uh, been big in the New York scene. He played, he was Benny Carter's guitar player, and he used to sub in for Grant Green and some of the okay. other guys. And then he started a school of jazz in Ann Arbor. And then he robbed a bank. Oh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he was on the run, and that's where he ended up in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And that's where oh. I met him. And, uh, so, so this is like a this is like a blues story almost. Well, yeah, it was like one of the songs. <laughs> well, none of us knew. None of the students knew why he was there. You know, we just knew that he was a little out of place because. Oh. Of it, you know, there wasn't a guy that had that kind of background. It you know, living out in the desert, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay, so, so you so you get some lessons. Um, when At what point do you start playing with people? Uh, well, I, uh, I couldn't find any work, any kind of work in New Mexico, so I came back home in, uh, toward Chicago, and uh, 
started doing day job stuff. And then at night and on the weekends, I would uh, go out and, and try and play with people, and I couldn't really do it. Uh, I had seen uh, uh, J.B. Hutto. I did a story on him for Living Blues magazine. And we got to be friends. And I was also hitting the clubs and trying to sit in. And then uh, I finally landed a gig with uh, the House Rockers. That was Hound Dog's band. Right after Hound Dog died, he was on the it was on the south side, uh, Sweet Peas Lounge on Ingleside, and it was on the south side. And uh, and I and went this, there. It, just so people, just so people are listening, understand this is the sort of like hub, right? The uh, of, of Chicago blues. This is where it was sort of really all kind of taking place. Yeah, the south side was really happening at this point. Okay, and what what decade? What are we talking about? Is this is this what is this seventies? What is this? This should be about uh, seventy five or so. Okay, all right, so mid seventies. Yeah, and and it was a black club in a black area, and I was the only white guy in there, and uh, but they you know they liked that they they welcomed me you know with open arms, and uh, I couldn't play real well, but they'd have me sit in. And uh, that lasted for about a year. And it was Friday, Saturday nights. I'd sit in. And then, and they'd pay me a little bit, you know, not too much. And then Port Brewer, the lead guitar guy for Hound Dog, uh, his wife stabbed him in the throat uh, in the, over a fight. And uh, he was in the hospital. And he made he, he recovered and got back together with his wife. But then the band broke up, you know. <laughs> so, but during this and, period, if I'm to understand this, is this the period where you ended up working, like being get, getting to jam with some pretty heavy hitters, right? Like you were ended up jamming with Otis Rush and people well, like that. Well, that was where I went next. I went over oh, to the eighteen okay. eighteen fifteen club over on West Roosevelt, and that was run by Eddie Shaw. Eddie Shaw, who uh, was the band leader for the Howlin' Wolf Band. Okay. Is that the Wolfpack? Pack? Yeah. Okay. So I, I got a gig there every weekend and uh uh yeah, and, and everybody would come through there. You know, like that's when all the guys would come to sit in and I was part of the band so I got to play with them, you know, older played. Right. And uh all guys like that and I, a lot of everybody, you know. Luther Tucker, uh Maxwell Street, Jimmy, uh, just quite a few guys like that. Uh, so, so this was a pretty like so this was like a real sort of like big education. I, I'm sensing that you probably grew as a guitarist, you know, uh, pretty intensely during this period. Well, I, yeah, I mostly found out what I couldn't do, that I needed to go back to the woodshed. Okay, you know, because uh, I mean, I was able to block out chords that is one thing, and which I did, you know, uh, just just do chords. And and then, uh, actually, Chico got me in to record. Uh, Chico Chisholm was the drummer, and he did a recording, him and uh, Jewtown Burks. They, they did uh, uh, sessions in Evanston, and they invited me to play with them. 
and Boston Blackie was there. And uh, so, so how do you get then? So, so let's let's go up to where you. you how do you get to be the the guitarist? Because you're a smoking guitar player. Dude. You're not definitely not just playing chords. So, so how, when when does this start? When do you start to become the guy? Well, I then uh, I, I then I I really you know I joined a. But then I was always taking lessons from JB, and that's really it. Uh, okay. Because uh, uh, eventually uh, I wasn't working at that club for about a year, and uh, JB had taken me under his wing, and I'd go to, over to his house every Tuesday night. And, he, and he'd say, well, okay, I'm play, you know. Uh, and uh, I'd play rhythm for him. And then, okay, it's your turn. Now you play lead. And then he'd play rhythm for me, and... and uh, he go and and things he say things like, no 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 no, stay in the key, stay in that key, don't leave that key, you know, you, you you're missing you know, and then he, you know and and then uh, he'd show me and then he'd lecture me on being a band leader and uh, what it takes and uh, and so, so that's so gave, what's, is this J B J B Hudo is that is is that who this is yeah J B Hudo Hudo and. Um, so it sounds to me like you had some good mentors that you well, know, that, kind of that like was... took you under their wing and said, you know, Dave, this is, you know, how it's done and, uh, and sort of guided you through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that gave me the confidence to think, oh, I am a lead guitarist. Okay. You know, I'm not just a rhythm guitar player. But although I'm happy to be a rhythm because that's the basis of my music. You know, my rhythm is is how I come up with my song. You know, that's how I come up with what I want to present to the public. Uh, just like "Flip Into a Dream," the new one. Uh, I came up with a bass line. I came up with the chord pattern. I was able to come up with the turnarounds and the. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, so, so when you so so how do, so where, how do you approach songwriting then? Well, that's your, how I do you, it. Do you have a, Okay, uh, just just by sort of coming up with ideas, chords. What do you do? Do you get a, like a lyric comes to you and you just start vamping on it, or? Uh, no, I usually for me it's it's I come I come into a groove. Okay. A, a, a chord pattern I really like, uh, something that I've wanted to do and that hasn't been brought out. Okay. You know, uh, and it wouldn't be some thing that, oh, okay. Uh, do the Mojo groove, you know, or do, uh, you know, Elmore James groove. No, I, it would be something that I want. Right. Different. You know, something that's different. So I would I would get that salad first. And then usually I bring it in a, on a bandstand and get the guys on it. And it's usually something they can handle, and, and they we just start playing it. And at that point, what comes to my mind is the lead or the uh, uh, the hook. You know, then the hook comes to me. Oh, this is what the song is about, and I'll repeat the hook. And then I'll sing some, you know, mumbo-jumbo just to get through the night. Uh, but then I'll go back home and go, okay, now you've got the, the groove, you've got the chord progression, the bass line, the drum pattern. And the, and the hook. Now, what are the words? You know, what you know. Let's fill this thing out. And then that's the way I I go about it. Um, when you were playing, now now you have your own 
uh, group that you you're, and you you guys are on your second album, uh, Dave Weld and the Imperial Flames. But you were playing with prior to that. You were playing with uh, uh, little little Ed and the Blues Imperials. Is that, is that right? Uh, it was about uh, years. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, how did how did you get how did you get from that situation being a sort of sideman, you know, to now you're the band leader and you're fronting your own band? Quit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I quit. I handed him my papers and said, oh, "I quit." <laughs> it was so, just time. Then it was just time for you to sort of step out and say, "Look, I'm ready to be the guy." No, it, it was more complicated. I I. I uh, I liked the band, and I liked what we were doing, but my job, my day job, gave me a raise right at the time when we, Alligator, had recorded it, and uh, then we were supposed to go on tour, and, and I had uh, responsibilities. I had uh, a mortgage to do, so I kept with, uh, I said, well, you know, and then I, I also saw Ed, uh, he, he was starting to drink a little more, and so I saw it as being an unmanageable situation. Okay. And so uh, I said, well, I'm, ju- I'm just going to go ahead and take care of my job and play. Because uh, I had always treasured my own music. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do enough of it. Okay. Know? And so so at that point, I just said, well, you, you go ahead and get some new guys. And uh, I'll just sit it out and, and do my my work, you know, and then I sat it out as long as I could stand and, and then started getting some of the old guys that I knew uh, to play. And, uh, and and I started actually a little band and uh, started some initial gigs and for some reason, <clears throat> I just had the confidence to do that. Yeah. I don't think I had the ability to do it. <laughs> so, well, that's all right because that's how you. That sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah, you, uh, you just having the balls to like sort of step out, and then you figure it out as you go. It, it seems like you figured it out. <laughs> well, that's the way. You know, we always learned everything on stage. So yeah. That's so, the way. so so you have so you end up getting together with these other guys. Um, it becomes Dave Wells and the Imperial Flames. How? Tell me a little bit about how you end up getting with uh, Delmark Records. How did you end up getting signed to that? Well, I've always known Bob. I had okay. known Bob, and uh, well, I, I I went in ahead and recorded, independently produced my first CD. Okay, and I shopped it to Bob. And he almost took it, but it, it ended up with Blue Sting in Belgium, who gave me a firm commitment. Okay. And, and then, uh, but I've been knowing Bob and uh, going to a store and chatting with him. And that was when it was on Grand in Chicago. That was in the 72, 3. And so um, then, uh, then, and and that that one was a, a really good record and it got me overseas and it kept the band working. And then eventually I got with Earwig Records and we did one. And Ed was on that one as well. And and that kept me working in overseas and touring. And then 
So what happened? Uh, so anyway, so at this point, the day job isn't is 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 become something not important to you anymore. Well, uh, I, by the time I I got with Earwig, I I hadn't had a day job for a while. Oh, good, good for you. Yeah, yeah, and that was in the I don't know when nineties, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the early nineties. Okay. And then I I went ahead and uh, uh, I was taking care of my mom, and uh, I brought her to a restaurant, and uh, and I was doting on her and feeding her every every bite because she she was uh, she had some disabilities, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, well, this guy behind me must think I'm a nutcase doting on my mom so much. And then at the end of the meal, I turned around, and it was Bob Kester. Okay. And I said, hey, Bob, how you doing? And, you know, we chatted, and uh, and then I thought to myself, you know, he's still a great guy. I'm going to go ahead and audition for him. And then I started talking to Pierre about it, Mississippi Heat. And Pierre said, yeah, you should go on in there. You guys are qualified. You guys are great, you know. We went in there as an audition, and they they went nuts. They loved it, you know, and uh, that was it, you know, and so we, we did our first CD with them, and it was great, and uh, then we did, uh, we waited, you know, because my, my ambition is to always have my current CD as the best CD I have, and uh, so I waited, and I know a lot of people bring out CDs quicker than I do. Now, how long was it between, um, was it Bur- it's Burn-, Burn in Love? That was the first one for Delmark, right? Uh, five years. Okay, so it's been five years between Burn in Love and, and, your, and your new record, Slip Into a Dream. Yeah. Okay. Which is a long time, but I, I went through a lot in that period, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but, but my goal has always been to have my current CD, the best CD of my life. So your latest record is Slip Into a Dream, okay? So how... So tell me about tell me about this record. Uh, how, is this is did you guys work with? The, I don't have it in front of me, so I apologize. Did you guys work with the producer? Um, and, and what's the difference between the, the previous record for Delmark and and this one? We um, we learned a lot in the previous one, and it was mostly kind of off the cuff. Okay. Uh, and so this one retained the spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And yet, we were able to arrange it, the songs, uh, better. My singing is better, and my guitar playing is better. And I made sure it was better <laughs> by practice. And then we also chose our material uh, a little more strategic. I mean, we you know we we thought a little more about the material and worked harder. At, at uh, the arrangements and the words. And uh, then we also worked a little harder on the harmony as far as, because we've been together that much longer, we're right. more cohesive. And uh, we did a lot, a lot of the harmony and we knew which ones we wanted horns on. And we added horns for, we had a sax player on the first one, but this one we added horn section. And our goal wasn't to get it out, you know, like to say, okay, 
we're blocking it off this week, and we're going in for three days, and then we're done. Uh, no. <laughs> we went in, we recorded a number of them, and waited for three months, and then went in for our, a three-day thing. And then we waited a month until we started overdubbing. And then we did overdubs. And then we did uh, horn sections. Then we did harmonies. And then we brought a piano player in from Canada, a good buddy of mine. And then we uh, waited until Bobby Rush was in town. And we brought Bobby Rush in. And then we brought in a guy from Boston, Sax Gordon, who was great at arrangement. And then we brought in Greg Guy, Buddy's son. And then after all that, we're a little over budget. Then we start <laughs> mixing. So, uh, so were, you, were you guys playing these songs live at the time? Like, were you still, like, going out and gigging in between these, working on this record? Yeah, these, these are all songs that we all record live. None okay. of them is, is one we uh, just go to the studio with. Okay. Yeah, that that is the true test, you know, because... Uh, you can win over a crowd, but it's a little illusionary. You know, if, if sometimes you can go into a crowd and say, oh, I wish I wish I had a record of that. That would be a hit, you know, see how the crowd <laughs> reacted. And then you hear it and you go, well, no, you know, it's yeah. a great crowd. But as far as a recording, it needs to have, you know, a little bit, be a little tighter, the arrangement, you know, a little better. Maybe the singing a little better, the parts a little CRISPR, you know, everything, you know. So, um, so you put, you guys put a lot of time into this record. It's uh, been a long time in the makings. I slipped into a dream. It is out. Uh, it is on your your label, uh, Delmark. And uh, you guys can, uh, people out there listening, you, uh, you guys can go to um, Dave Weld's uh, website and all the uh, links and everything there at daveweld.com to get the record. Is that correct? Get it through iTunes and everything? Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and on Dave Weld, uh, imperialdave.com. Imperial, Im, Imperial Dave. <laughs> um, so what is so? Are you? And guys, it can be bought guys, on Amazon as well, of course. It's, yeah, I I happened I did look at that too as well because um, I was trying to get as much information as I could. What? Um, so what is? So what's going on? Are you guys going out on the road? What's the situation? Well, yeah, we uh, we're doing a lot of local stuff, and I, I like it that way. Uh, but uh, we have been out on the road. Uh, like I mentioned, we were at the Pennsylvania Blues Fest last year. It was really cool. Yeah. And uh, we this a few months ago, we did the Fargo Blues Fest, and, and it was really great. And we go to Europe every year, uh, usually in the spring. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the last two times, it was Norway, and it was beautiful. And we play a lot of Buddy Guys and the House of Blues here in Chicago. And uh, we've got some dates lined up, you know, for that still, uh, November, December. And then we do local, you know, stuff as well to uh, bread and butter type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, you know, and then we're, of course, we're getting, with this CD, we're getting a lot of interest. I just got a uh, uh, a bite from a Helsinki Blues Fest. We might go there, but we have to work out the financial and see if, It'll fly, you know. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, 
do you uh, uh, so do you find do you find uh, uh, the European uh, audiences uh, more more receptive, more into it, or about the same as America? Uh, about the same. Okay. It seems like more when you're over there, and people say it's more, but in actuality, where wherever you travel away from your hometown, there's more interest. So if we were to go to Boston, it would seem like you know. We would go because you don't go somewhere far away unless it's financially feasible, and it's not financially feasible unless they're going to have a lot of people that attend it. <laughs> you know, enough to pay for everything. You know, of course. Of and course. so, uh, uh, well, these, you know, basically, uh, uh, it's still the same. Uh, there's a, there's, it's a different vibe. You know, there's a little more respect since it's. You're uh, from another country, and uh, art has a different meaning, you know, to them, mm-hmm. of course. And yet, they still would rather, the country would still listen to, uh, if they could, would rather go to Lady Gaga or, <laughs> or, or, you know, or, right. you know, or a Stones concert. You know, uh but having said that, we get really good crowds in Europe. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we're getting to the point here where we need to start wrapping up. Is there anything that you'd like uh, to add before before we close? Anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? Well, uh, if you'd like to get us for a festival, we're at uh, DaveWell.com or ImperialDave.com, and you can get my email. And uh, get, get get in touch with us, and we'll uh, make the trip. We'll do some routing, booking, and uh, sometimes we just go to the festival and drive home, depending, you know. Yeah. And so uh, this is the uh, uh, the best work of my life. This particular CD, "Flip Into a Dream," is really the pinnacle, and uh, I've got the guys and the girl I, I like to work with. So it's a uh, a dream come true that I slipped into. So I'm just happy to be working, and uh, we love uh, the audience, and we love the work. So we put in, you know, like 100% in our show. We do, uh, a lot of times I'll walk the crowd. Sometimes on a good night I'll walk the bar, you know, with my wireless. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, and we do our three-part harmonies, and we've, we feature the the three vocalists, Jeff Taylor on drums. He's a great singer, you know, and a great drummer. And the the beautiful Monica, uh, Monica Meyer on uh, uh, vocals, and she's wonderful. And and myself, and we do harmonies. And then we also switch, you know, uh, the leader. You know, I'll sing some, she'll sing some, Jeff will sing some. You know, so there's a lot of variety and. Uh, that's that's what I like. There's variety, and uh, I like the dancing. So it's all dancing. So it's a high energy show, and you guys need to go check it out. DaveWeld.com and is it ImperialDave.com? Is that is that the other one? Yeah, Imperial <laughs> ImperialDave.com. All right, hey uh, Dave, it was really nice meeting you. Nice to you if you take some time to talk to us today. Uh, hang on the line here. We're going to finish up the recording. Okay. Okay.
All right, guys, you've been uh, listening to my uh, uh, talk here with the fantastic, the uh, incomparable, my first Chicago blues artist ever uh, be on the program, Dave Weld. And uh, we will be back with more uh, great uh, interviews in the future and more great music casts. You can find out more at LudiniRockAndRollCircus.com. We will see you on the next one. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.